I would like to draw your attention this evening, if I may, to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is one of my favorite prophetic books. It is so full of um, messianic power, messianic prophecies about the Christ coming. Uh, he's one of the most famous prophets in Jewish history, yet um, some of what he has written in modern Judaism is it's off limits. They refuse to talk about it. Um, as a matter of fact, if you bring it up in some synagogues, they would ask you to leave. But this Jewish prophet would say something like he did in Isaiah chapter 53. That he was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquity, the chastisement of our peace is upon him. With his stripes we are healed. Folks, that can only be talking about one person. <laughs> There's only one, one God that can heal and deliver, that can take our infirmities. Amen. It's, it's forbidden to talk about because if you, if you happen to open up the word and open up your mind, you're going to see the one who was wounded on the tree is our Lord, our Savior, our Messiah. As, as Peter said in Acts chapter 2, he has been made both Lord and Christ. He is Lord and He is Messiah. And I'm glad that I know who He is. Amen. I'm glad that I know who He is. I want to take you to the sixth chapter tonight. Um, this chapter is so full. I was talking to the Lord this afternoon just trying to kind of focus in on what, I, what direction the Lord wanted me to take tonight. And uh, every time I start reading in this chapter man my mind's like takes a takes a right and a left and a right and a left and so I'm gonna try to stay just as centered as I can to get where I'm going tonight um, but I feel like the Lord's gonna help us amen yeah. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse number 1 is where we're going to begin um, a lot of scholars say that uh, chapter 6 is actually the beginning of the actual actual book of Isaiah um, that there are warnings from the Lord that were spoken through Isaiah, but chapter 6 would possibly be where he actually picked up the prophetic book in the year that King Uzziah died. And he said, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne. And he was high. Now, did he get high and lifted up when Isaiah saw him? Or was his current condition? <laughs> Man, y'all are doing so good. It's, I'm telling you, it's hard to stay focused. He said, by the time I looked and was able to see, he was not just assuming his position of being high and lifted up. He said, by the time I saw him, he was already there. He was high, and he was lifted up. And his train, or we could say the garment that he wore, the hem even, the uh, proper translation of this is the, the hem, the lower part of his garment, filled the temple. Now, he, he goes in deep, and I'm going to try to talk to you just a little bit about the background of it, but... Above the train, the lower part of his garment that filled the temple 
there stood seraphims. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he did fly. One cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. And then Isaiah realizes how unclean he is. This is, should be, it should always be a common happening. When we come in contact with the holiness of God, we realize how clean and holy and pure he is. And that no matter how hard we've tried, we've got to be more like him. He said, Lord, I'm a man of unclean lips. Would you touch me? And of course, the angels of the Lord did touch him. But I want us to just pray for a moment tonight. If you've got your Bible in your hand, I want you to just hold it close to your heart. And I want you to ask the Lord to let his word speak volumes to you tonight. I, I, I preached it a few weeks ago, and I believe that the seed is always good. But I want you to pray tonight that the Lord would prepare the soil of your heart. Would you do that, God? Let this good seed of the Word of God take deep root in our hearts tonight. Would you speak in this house? I want your name to be glorified above all else, God. Lord, I want you to do something in this house that no man can get the glory for. I want you to do something in this place tonight, God, that is so big and so powerful. That when people behold it, they say it had to be God. I'm asking you, Lord, to let sweet deliverance ring in this house. I'm asking you, oh God, to let this place be an echo chamber of the goodness of God as we begin to lift our voices in praise and gratitude. God, let it be tonight that you receive the glory. Hallelujah. Church, help me bless him right now. Let's not move on too fast. Just begin to praise him. Give him adoration from your mouth tonight the greatness of God oh I love you Jesus come on lift that voice tonight hallelujah hallelujah just tell him how good he's been to you I wish you would ring the rafters tonight with a hand clap of praise for the only wise God, for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, you got to get that perspective that Isaiah had. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Don't you know he's good tonight? Come on, let's take a minute and bless the Lord together. Our praise creates an atmosphere of faith where anything can happen. I said anything can happen. Hallelujah. Praise God. You may be seated in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you for standing. And most importantly, thank you for your worship. I feel so good in here tonight. I feel something powerful moving and working in this room. And I'm believing that before we leave here, we will say we've been in the presence of the Lord. Amen. 
I believe the enemy's doing everything he can. I believe he's pulling out every stop that he can. I believe that I know that, uh, that as far as chronologically speaking and eschatology, uh, as far as eschatology is concerned, when you get in Revelation, he's talking about the millennial reign uh, when he said that the enemy has come down knowing that he hath but a short time. He's come down in great wrath. But I believe that he knows right now, even though we're not in the millennial reign, I believe the enemy knows right now that his time is short. And I'll tell you what he's doing. He's getting the world ready. He's getting the world ready, establishing and setting up the Antichrist agenda. He's getting it all in place. You can look to the right and to the left. used to be that you had to look pretty hard to find some things. And, you know, there'd be a little smoke screen here and there. And you'd look and say, I don't know, it could be. It's a possibility. But you just write this down next to Acts 2.38 when I tell you tonight we're there. We're watching it happen, and I'm not afraid of it. God has spared us, spared our lives for this time right now. We are living in the greatest day of the church. We are living in the greatest age of the church where God is going to show himself mighty and God is going to use his people. You don't have to believe what I'm telling you tonight, but when God looks at you, I want you to understand that God sees a generation of greatness, a generation of power, a generation of authority, a generation that's going to walk in dominion, a generation of demonstration. I believe that God has spared this people for this day and great things are coming. I believe that. Do you believe it tonight? Now, I I just want to establish some things, if I could, tonight for lack of a better Uh, For lack of a better title this evening, I just want to extrapolate from the first verse of this sixth chapter, and I will make my title this evening the last line of this first verse. His train filled the temple. His train filled the temple. Now, uh, I'm going to spend just a quick moment here with the prophet Isaiah explaining to you Um, the kind of, I hate to use these words because people take it so far out of context, but almost a kind of love affair that Isaiah had with King Uzziah. Not in a a sexual kind of way, obviously, but he was like infatuated with Uzziah. He was just enamored would be a good word. He was enamored with Uzziah. Uzziah was uh, a great king. But uh, Uzziah got just a little bit uh, out of alignment. And I'm not here to preach about Uzziah. But how did he die? Why did he die? It kind of matters. It was a traumatic experience in the kingdom of Israel when Uzziah died because he wasn't assassinated in battle. Uzziah did not die a great warrior. Uzziah died a leper. He died because he was a king that tried to walk in the office of a priest. Now, I could stay here and preach just this. Again, I'm trying to stay where I'm going, but there's something to be said about things that are holy remaining holy. He was trying to somehow blur lines, in my opinion, between the political world of kingship 
and the spiritual world of the priesthood. And those two worlds are never going to blend together. He felt like as the king that he had a right to function in the priesthood or to offer a sacrifice that only the priest could offer. And the scripture said that immediately when he stepped out of alignment and he tried to walk in something that he wasn't supposed to walk in, and we can break this down to a molecular level and keep it simple to help you understand that when something common tried to come in contact with something holy, the Bible said that he was smitten with leprosy and that he basically died the death of a fool. He died the death of a leper. And so here he is, the highest office as far as man is concerned in the land, the king of Israel. And he is separated from his family. He is isolated from his family. As a matter of fact, when you read the context, there seems to even be turmoil on how they bury him because he was a leper. And lepers were supposed to be buried in a leper's grave, but yet he was a king. So is he going to be buried with the kings or is he buried with the lepers? And it's just a... There's a lot in the story, a lot of moving parts. And so Isaiah, to say the least, the mighty prophet of God was torn to shreds when the great king Uzziah died. And to say that he was more than likely affected by deep depression would be the understatement of the book. That Isaiah was greatly affected when not only his king but his friend Uzziah died. And the scripture said that in the year that he died, why does it matter in the year that he died? Because that first year was the year of mourning. They would take that time to mourn the passing of a king in that first year. In the year that was supposed to be the darkest season of mourning for Israel, the prophet said, while I was supposed to be in the deepest place of mourning that I could be, in the same year that he died, when I should have stayed broken and felt empty, he said, I looked up and I saw also. It was so powerful that in the darkness of mourning and in the heaviness of loss, there was an also that came to his vision. I want to say to you that if you're looking for darkness in this present world, it is everywhere. The Antichrist agenda seems to be gaining steam every day, not just daily anymore, but by the hour almost. It's unbelievable to me the way that steam is gaining right now and the things that are transpiring in the earth. But I feel like telling you tonight, if you're looking for a reason to mourn, you can mourn. If you're looking for a reason to be broken, you can find a reason. But Isaiah said there was a powerful moment. I had my eyes transfixed on this world. But when I lifted my gaze, he said I saw also the Lord. And he was high and he was lifted up. What are you saying, Pastor? Isaiah had an understanding that even when my world feels like it's chaos, God is still on the throne. God is still high. God is still lifted up. I feel like telling you tonight, you may feel like you're out of control, but God is not out of control. You may feel like you've lost your grip, but God knows where you are. 
you, <laughs> you may feel like right now that you're as hopeless as you've ever been. But God is not hopeless. I was reading this morning uh, an article that I came across. Uh, there is a professor, or he's the dean, actually. His position is dean of Trinity College. And this dean of Trinity College has released a statement in an article this week that because of a picture that he saw of Christ in a Renaissance painting, he saw, he literally just saw this Renaissance painting of Christ, and he said it was his opinion According to the Renaissance painting, which I don't know how many of you are familiar with Renaissance art, but that, that time of art, like, bodies look kind of weird. Sometimes faces are real oval, and, like, it's not, it's not completely correct the way that they drew Renaissance art. is very interesting. But the dean at Trinity College said, in his opinion, after studying this piece of Renaissance art, that it's very possible that Jesus could have been transgender. No, no, no. This is, a, this is a Christian college. He said it's very possible that Jesus could have been transgender because in the painting, it, you don't see male parts. Now, how in the world do you start basing your thesis for doctrine, your ideas for doctrine on a Renaissance painting? I'll never know that. But let me tell you, it does frustrate me a little bit. It does upset me a little bit. But it doesn't depress me. Because I realize what's really going on. Oh God. I know that there is a spirit of deception that is loosed in the earth. I know that. But I want to tell you what I also see. There is a spirit of revelation. That is unleashed like I have never seen. You listen to what I'm telling you. There are people the devil has lied to you and told you that people don't want the truth of the word of God. There is a hunger that I'm seeing right now that I haven't seen in my lifetime for people to come to the full knowledge of the truth. I'm saying to you that there may be deception, but that deception is not greater than the one who is seated on the throne. And there is revelation that's coming to the earth of the one that is seated on the throne he said I saw also the Lord and he said he was seated upon a throne and he was high and lifted up I just built my water he was high and he was lifted up this posture ought to make you want to shout now, I'm not here to just make you dance and shout tonight, but this posture ought to make you want to shout. He said, I was as low as I've ever been. But God was as high and lifted up as he's ever going to be. I want you to understand something. Just because you're down to nothing doesn't mean that God has ran out of options. 
He is as powerful as he has ever been. He's as great as he's ever going to be. If he healed your body 15 years ago, he can heal your body tonight. If he delivered you years ago, he can deliver your children tonight. Oh, I feel my help coming in here. Man, I could stay right there and just preach that. He was high. He was lifted up. I need to be reminded of that some days. Because my natural tendency when I feel the struggle. David said, I look unto the. Man, y'all are preaching so good. I look unto the hills where my help. Woo! I don't even have to preach that. It preaches itself. He said my help is not coming from the pit. He brought me out of a terrible pit. My help comes from the Lord. He is the maker of heaven and earth now I've got to I've, I'm going to come back to this that is trained for the temple but I got to fill you in on the conversation that's going on in heaven he said above his train the lower part of his garment he said there were there were seraphims and each one of them had six wings with two they covered their face with two they covered their feet and with two they did fly and one cried to the other. The conversation in heaven are angels going back and forth. Now, these are not just any angels. They're seraphim. These are very interesting beings. If you start trying to study seraphim, they're very interesting beings. But these seraphim serve a particular role in the heavenly hierarchy of angelic activity. Uh, and, and again, I don't have time to go into the seraphim completely with how they are, but it's amazing to me that while in the earth, the conversation in the kingdom is loss. Are you with me? In the year that he died, loss, 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 broken, hurting, mourning. Our, our, our hearts are fractured. We are a broken people. But the conversation in heaven is holy, 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 holy. Holy, there is worship going on in the heavens, and I love this. They said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of the angels, the Lord of hosts. Watch this now. They did not say all of heaven is full of his glory, although it is. They said the whole earth. Why did God let Isaiah hear this clip of the conversation in heaven? He said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of the angelic host. Because the whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah, you need to hear this. While in your world, it's all full of mourning. You need to know that all around you, the whole earth. 
right in the middle of your pain, right in the midst of your sorrow, right in the midst of your woe, right in the midst of your mourning. The earth is full of the glory of God. I want to tell somebody tonight, the glory of God is greater than what you see. It's greater. We need to know that conversation that happens. Because even when I don't feel like saying holy, holy, holy. Anybody in here ever worship when you didn't feel like it? Come on now. You can be honest. I know we got some good spiritual folk in here, but let's, let's just be flesh and blood. Come on. I told you a few months ago, I, I have no clue what I did. Uh, but I, I realized I'd injured my knee really bad. Like, I, I'd never felt that kind of pain in my knee. It, it had troubled me some through the years, but it got, it got bad. I mean, I was wearing a brace all the time. Everything I did, I had a brace on my leg. I'm like, man, I'm way too young to be dealing with something like this. And, and my mother had had knee surgery before. And I just told her, I said, Mom, I don't, I don't want to go under the knife. And I'd come in here to church. And I love to worship down here. I love it when people get out and they come up and worship and I love to dance and shout in the choir, get up and sing, the blood still works. The blood still works. It will never lose its power. And I'd try to leap for joy, and I'd feel that pain in my leg, and it, it would just about put me down on the ground. I'd start wearing my brace so I could worship. How horrible is that? Man, to be 25 again. And I'm hopping around up here. And I, I would hear that voice, you know, of, of reason saying, well, you big dummy, quit jumping if it hurts. And there's probably some good truth to that. It did hurt, and I'm probably a dummy. But I would jump, and I'd feel it, and I'd feel myself kind of leaning on that right leg a little bit. And I'd jump, and the, the, they, they got to sing, the blood still works one night. Man, I was, I was doing all I could, and I started dancing. I got over on the left leg a little bit, and I'm like, well, it don't feel too bad. And I'm telling you the honesty God's truth. I don't even know when it happened. I, don't, I couldn't tell you the day. I don't have a clue when it actually happened. I just knew that I had been worshiping in pain. And it was hurting. And it was frustrating. I tried to play pickleball. It hurt. I couldn't play golf without it hurting. I couldn't worship without it hurting. And I got in here one night and I started worshiping. And all of a sudden I realized it don't hurt no more. And I'm going to tell you why. There's something to be said about worshiping in a time that you don't feel like. He didn't say praise was convenient, but it is comely to God's people. We got to quit focusing on what we cannot do and start giving God what we can. We got to start giving God our best no matter what it costs. Come on, I'm going to let that settle in right there for just a minute. Woo! If you believe it, shout yes. He said, the conversation in heaven was powerful because what they were saying in heaven was that the whole earth was full of his glory. 
But from where I'm standing, the whole earth is full of darkness. You understand what I'm saying? Jesus said, when, they, when his disciples said, teach us how to pray. And I'm not going to go through the whole prayer. But he said, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Watch this now. In earth, as it is, not as it's becoming. As it is in heaven. Well, what is it in heaven? Well, let's look at Isaiah. Isaiah said, I don't like what I'm seeing down here. But the angels are saying apparently that the whole earth is full of his glory. And what we've got to figure out how to do is to get all of this darkness that's going on around us. I'm not saying act like it doesn't exist. But Isaiah got a glimpse into something more powerful than the darkness. And that was the power of his glory. That I am surrounded. I don't know how all that song goes. But it's like, it's like one of them 7-Eleven songs. It's the same seven words 11 times. It may look like I'm surrounded. But I'm surrounded by you. They say it over. It may look like I'm surrounded. But I'm surrounded by you. Come on. You can say it with me. It ain't even hard. It may look like I'm surrounded. Do you realize what you're saying right now? You're saying the same thing Isaiah was saying. In the year King Uzziah died, I was surrounded. I was surrounded with pain. It looks like I'm surrounded. But when I look up there, I realize I'm surrounded. The prophet and the servant realized that they were, they were standing there and the little servant thought maybe he was in trouble because he looked up in the valley, in the, from the valley into the hills and all he could see was the enemy surrounding him. And the Lord, the, the prophet said, Lord, just open up his eyes. Let him see. Let him see what? Let him see what already exists. He didn't say God send angels. He said, God, let him see what you've sent. If about a half dozen people would get this, this place would explode like a powder cake. He didn't say God send help. He said let the boys see the help that you sent. I feel like telling you tonight, you're not waiting on help to come. Our help has come. All right. I wish somebody just shout that right now. Woo! See, that feels so good. Now you know why I do that all the time. It's so funny to me watching people. They're so funny because they're like, no, I'm, I'm sorry, Pastor. I'm not emotional. I'm like, man, I've watched you and your dumb ball teams winning. Don't tell me you're not emotional. Them stupid guys out there beating one another up. Fist fighting, they'll score one touchdown. They're like, Wah! I'm like, dude, they're still gonna lose. Why do you act the way you do at church? Cause he's never lost. He ain't never lost the Super Bowl. He ain't never lost the battle. Why do you act the way you do? Because he's worthy. He's worthy of my praise. He's worthy of my worship. 
doing good. I'm, 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 I'm hanging in there. I'm getting where I'm, where I'm trying to get. Y'all still with me? Amen. Are y'all tired yet? Come on, we can pack up and go to the house. I'll finish later if you're... Oh, I know the suspense is just killing you, right? He was high and lifted up. He was seated on a throne. I love that. Because John saw the same throne. And one that sat on it. You know the Bible never contradicts itself. There's always been one throne and there's always been one seated on it. <laughs> it's just there. It's so powerful. He saw him seated on a throne. But there was something so unique that he saw. And understand whether we like to talk about this or not. This is a Jewish book. He was a Jewish prophet and Jesus was a Jewish man. We read this book through Western eyes all the time, and it's deceived a lot of people in their doctrine. But Isaiah understood things from a Jewish perspective. When he saw the Lord, where was he seated? High lifted up in this temple, right? He sees the temple. He sees God. He sees angels that are talked about in rabbinical literature. He's, he's, he's seeing it, but he sees this powerful moment. And he said, and his train filled the temple. His train filled the temple. I, I, you know, I've, I've preached about this. And if you get into medieval times, you can start talking about a train. There's a lot. I've, and I've preached it. I'm not saying it's incorrect. I, I would preach it again. I like it's true that medieval times, kings, when they would win victories, they would cut pieces off the train of another king and they would sew it onto their train. So in other words, the longer the train of the king, the more victories he had. Does that make sense? But that, that wasn't what Isaiah saw. It is, it is true. And there's a lot of power to that. That if you're looking at it from the perspective of his train filling the temple and you look at it from that perspective, here's the facts. He wasn't waiting to win victory. The victory was already won. Isaiah's looking and he's already won the victory. But when he said he saw a strain, if you look at the Hebrew word, it means the lower part of his garment around his feet. What was this lower part of his garment? Well... I got some. Brother McLean, I've got a gift that you bought me years ago. You and your sweet wife bought this for me. I have a couple of them. I got one that I bought in Israel. And then I have this one that I keep in my office all the time. Now this, for those of you that don't know what this is, this is a, this is a Jewish prayer shawl. Okay? It's uh, usually got Shema on it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart. It's there. Now, this, this is kind of how you see him wear it now. Put this garment on and bring it up and put it around their head. A lot of times they've got on the phylacteries praying. And this is kind of what you see now. But in the early days when the Levitical commandment was given to make this it wasn't just a prayer shawl it was actually the outer garment that these men 
would wear. And there's something so powerful about this because when you start studying all of this, you go to Numbers chapter 15, verse 37, the scripture said, The Lord spake unto Moses, said, Speak unto the children of Israel, and bid them that they may make fringes on the borders of their garment. Somebody say the train. Throughout their generations, and that they put upon the fringe of the borders a ribbon of blue. And he walks them through all of this. That when they look on it, they'll remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. That you seek not after your own heart and your own eyes, after which ye used to go a-whoring, but that ye may remember to do all my commandments and be holy unto your God I am the Lord your God which brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. Now I'm not going to preach this. But I do think it's interesting. That even in the wilderness. When there was nobody else that could see them. Because I hear that all the time. Well man looks on the outside. I understand. But even in the wilderness when there was nobody else around. The Lord gave them a dress code and he said, it matters to me how you dress. Not so that the world would judge how they were dressed, but he said so that when they look on it, they are reminded of the commandments of the Lord. I want you to understand that I'm not holy unto the world. I am holy unto the Lord. I do what I do, not so that man... Not so that man can applaud me, but I do it so that God knows I belong to him. Now, these men in ancient Israel, they wore these four-cornered outer tunics. You see these pretty little things right here on the end? These little tassels. These are called tzitzit, spelled with a T. Now there's something that's so amazing about these. I haven't preached about these in many, many years. I want to tell you something that's so powerful about these. If you get one that's authentic or as they would say, it's kosher. If you get a real kosher one, it is to remind men that were wearing these. All four corners have them on there so you know I'm not lying to you. This one came in a package. Sister McLean ordered this for me, and I can't read one thing that's on there. It came from from Jerusalem. And these four corners are very interesting, and I'm going to preach just a little bit of it to you. These tassels were to remind these men of the laws of God. And the reason why, and it's still this way today, although this has been shortened into a prayer shawl, but this garment that they wore has 600 And 13 knots tied in it by hand. 613 knots to constantly remind them of the 613 laws of Moses or laws of God. Now, people don't like this. 365 of which were prohibitions or thou shalt not. 248 were affirmations. God said, this is what you can do. Isn't it amazing that there's 365 days in a year? And we need to be reminded every day of our lives there's just some things we don't do. When you're a child of God, you are different. 
You're not different because you go to church. You're different because of who you belong to. I want to tell you, I'm not preaching to a bunch of slouches tonight. I'm preaching to king's kids. You belong to God. You are not a second class citizen. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. Now, on these knots, and I, man, I got to hurry, but there are four dominant knots on these. These four spaces between these five dominant knots represented the ineffable name of God, yod heh or Yahweh. So the power that was in these Oh, Lord. Is that his name was in the middle of his law. The power of his name could only be understood when you start seeking him from a standpoint of why is God always against me? Why can't why, why why is God always telling me? Why is that church always telling me what I can't do, where I can't go? Why do they always preach about that? He said, You want to understand the power of my name? It's found in the middle of my law. It's found in the middle of the law. This is not just some antiquated, wore out, out of date book. It's the most powerful thing that has ever been written. There's a reason why even in this antichrist driven world, it's still the number one selling book in the world. There's power in the word and there's power in his name. When they were hanging the four corners of the garment. And these men put it on. And they would walk around with it. It was a constant reminder of the laws of God. And a constant reminder of the name of God. But the Hebrew word for law, this is so powerful. When the word, when we read in the English language to keep the laws of God, the word, the Hebrew word for law is halacha. Come on, you can say that Hebrew people, let's do it. Halacha. Do you know that halacha does not just mean law as in what you and I know law, but it literally translated means walk. Is it any wonder that the apostle said, we walk by faith? This is not just something we say. Sure. Somebody could have probably quoted all 613 of them. But God's not impressed in what you say. He's impressed with how you walk. He doesn't care if you can quote the word. He wants to know, can you walk in the word? It doesn't make you a scholar because you can read the word. It makes you holy because you walk in the word. We got to learn to walk in this thing. This is not just what I come to profess on Sunday. It's what I live. It's the halacha. I live it every day, every night, everywhere I go. Hide your words in my heart.
that I might not sin against you. Isn't it interesting that the word of God, the halacha, the, the, the walk, the law of God that we walk in, isn't it something that it's not only what we walk in, but it's also the lamp under our feet and a light under our pathway? Because as long as you walk in the word, you will never walk in darkness. It may not go way out in front of you, but you can know one thing. That next step of faith that you're going to take when you're walking in the Word, that next step is going to be lit. He's not going to leave you alone. The power's not just in the Word, but it's in the fact that the Word is what lights your way. Now, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best to hurry. This is a Jewish prophet, Jewish book. He understands some things. Why, why, why are we doing this? Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 7. And when you teach them diligently unto your children, you shall talk to them. Watch this. When you sit in your house and when you... Boy, y'all are preaching so good. And when you walk by the way and when you lay down and when you rise up. It's on your garment. So when your kids walk in and sit down and say, Daddy, why do we do what we do? Your answer should never be because that's what pastor teaches. Your answer should never be, well, because that's what our church does. No. That's what we do as the children of God. And we, say, we, we talk about it. Now, this is the part we got to get to. It's really hard to talk about it with True Crimes TV going. It's really hard to talk about it sitting in your house with Hollywood talking too. I'm here, so I'm just going to go ahead and say it. It's really hard to entertain witchcraft on one movie and then have your kids come sit down with you and say, let's talk the word. It's counterproductive. You can't glorify Hollywood and glorify God at the same time in the same house. You know what's so funny? You know I've all, I've never, never just in this church, and I got man, I've got to hurry. I've never just for the sake of preaching ever preached against TV. I think it's a move point. There's no real reason to preach against TV when everybody's got a TV on their pocket. You understand what I'm saying? You can't preach against a device. But it's amazing how distracted people stay. And it's so amazing to me that people are being convicted about things that they don't hear us say anything about from the pulpit. I've had people recently come to me and say, Pastor, I got rid of everything. We don't subscribe to nothing anymore. Because you can't find any good. And if you find something that's halfway wholesome, then everything that's in between and everything they're selling, everything they're talking about, it brings things in our home that we don't want. Listen, if you ever start feeling that way, don't tell God no. If God ever starts leading you to get things out of your house, don't wait till next week. God's trying to do something in your home. He's trying to make this conversation a little bit easier. I don't.
want there to be a war of voices in my home that I'm trying to cast it out while I'm trying to embrace it. I want my home to be the kind of place that we can talk about it when we sit down. We can talk about it when we walk. We can talk about it when we lay down. And we can talk about it when we get up. Woo! Now, to draw a good picture for you of what I'm talking about, if you were to try to make some kind of comparison of what it would be like for us as, as Christians, especially Gentile Christians, well, like what would we compare wearing this garment that they wore to? It would be basically the same thing as walking around with a Bible hanging off of you. Because it's the word of God. It's, it's the law of God. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. It might be just a little bit tight in here when I do this. <laughs> but if you had to walk around with your Bible. Now, this one don't have it. My, I got a couple other ones that do. It's got my name on it. Yeah. I mean, I got it done sharp, you know. <laughs> Pastor. <laughs> Luke St. Clair. You can't hide that. If you had to walk around with your Bible hanging off of you all the time, I'm just going to like throw this out there and see what happens. If you walked around and always had a Bible on you, how would you behave in public? How would you speak to others? What buildings would you not walk into anymore? Because when you walked in with the word on you, somebody looked at you like, what in the world are they doing in here? I thought they were a child of God. <laughs> we don't like the pressure that the world puts on us. So I want to tell you what happened. Oh, Lord, I'm here, Brother Shaw. Just, you're going to have to help me. Just, if, if anybody comes to whoop me, you just, I'm sure you're packing. You just, you'd be running away, wouldn't you, Sister Shaw? Listen, this garment used to be, Brother Josh, they wore it on the outside. Some of them old Pharisees, it was so long it dragged the ground. Now what, what Isaiah saw, he said it filled the temple because it, it was his authority, it was his word. You understand all that. When he saw it, he said, I, I saw his authority, it filled the temple. His word, it was so powerful. His glory literally filled the temple. But over time, that garment became just a little bit smaller and a little bit smaller, a little bit smaller. Every now and then you'll see an Orthodox Jew standing at the wall that, I, uh, that we, while we were there praying. That they, they'd, they had kind of a longer one. But most everybody you see has this. And now they've even made it to where you wear it underneath your garment. Follow me. I'm taking you somewhere. You wear it underneath your garment. And the only thing that hangs out of your garment is just the tassels. It's a little more inconspicuous. Now when you go places, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of comments or compliments. It's just, just kind of there. And if you put on the right kind of jacket, nobody can see it. You got it on so you've fulfilled the mitzvah. But it's not out there far enough for people to start asking questions. 
Are you picking up what I'm putting down yet? Can I tell you, we don't, we, we don't just love this when we sit in our house. We love this when we walk about the way. I want everywhere I go for somebody to say, there's something different about that guy. I believe that man is madly in love with Jesus. I don't want to hide this. I don't want to put this under a cloak. I want the world to know I'm in love with Jesus. Are you hearing what I'm preaching to you tonight, church family? I want the world to know he made a difference in my life. I want people asking questions. Why do you believe what you believe? Because he made a difference in my life. (laughs) These shawls, these these, these prayer shawls. When you go back through and I'm in a hurry. Time's tick, tick, ticking away. When, when, when you read what, what I read to you tonight from Numbers chapter 15, this is what you read. That this garment was to be white. White represent the heavens or the dwelling place of the Lord. The color blue was to be woven into it. The color blue represents the holiness or the Holy Spirit of God, the Ruach HaKodesh. It's the Spirit of God. Now, I'm, I'm going to take you somewhere right here, and I'm going to speak this as plain as I can in English. But I want you to understand the power of this. Is that the spirit and presence will always accompany the commandment. You can't just throw a commandment out and demand people to do it. In the New Testament, they said it like this. There were signs following that confirmed the word. You want to know what I believe? I believe we got to be careful in this generation that we don't just preach commandment without giving people the power of promise. But if you can give people an experience like they've never had before in their life and they can experience the presence of God like they've never felt before, they're not going to mind devoting their life to Jesus. Listen, we can offer something that nothing else in the world can offer. You can only get the presence and the power of God and the power of God when you're in his presence. So, it is an understanding that when these men begin to pray under the talit, the prayer shawl, that they are literally covering themselves with the presence of God. Now, you and I, I can just see this clip going out right now. People probably think I'm a neurotic nut. But if you've seen them pray like this, I'm telling you, it's pretty neat. They do it in the morning time. But listen, when in deep prayer, these Jewish men put these shawls over their head. And this is what they say they're doing. That they are taking the present and they are shutting out the world. Boy, this would be a lot easier to preach like this. I wouldn't have to look at any faces. When I start preaching on something that steps on your toes, it wouldn't look, I wouldn't get to see you look like you were baptizing pickle juice. Come on, somebody. Your baby ain't even crying. You pinch, you pinch your neighbor's baby and pick that up and carry that sucker out. You don't want to hear it. 
You're right, honey. It did mess up my flow. She told me, I said, it looked pretty decorated. She said, yeah, I'm going to mess up your preaching flow, though. You're right. But it's still pretty. When they would get into the synagogue or at the Western Wall in Jerusalem to pray, Jesus talked about this in Mark chapter 6 and verse number 6. And this is what he was talking about in Mark 6 and 6. He said, when you pray... You need to go into your closet and shut the door. And when you have shut the door and you pray to the Father which is in secret, then your Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. I'm telling you, there's value in this. I don't wear one of these when I pray. But there is value in being covered so deeply in His presence. That while I'm praying, why did Isaiah see this? Because when his train fills the temple, nothing else out here matters. I am covered by his presence. And so I'm not praying about what's going on out here. I'm letting God deal with what's happening inside here. Are you hearing me? When we get in our prayer closet, we stop asking God to fix problems out here. And we start asking God to fix problems in here. And it's amazing when God starts fixing what's happening in here. All of this that's happening out here. Get in your closet. He said, but them, 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 them proud men. They like to get out there and pray where everybody could hear them. And he said, they have their reward. (laughs) They fast so everybody can see it. But they have their reward. He said, but when you learn to get shut in. Now, this is not King James. I'm just singing an old song. It's what Jesus was saying. He said, when you learn to get shut in with God in a secret place. There in the spirit beholding his face. When he said get in that closet. He was saying find you somewhere where there's not a cell phone in there. Find you somewhere where there's not an iPad in there. Find you somewhere where the outside world can't get to you. And seek the face of God. Shut yourself in. And shut the world out. And say God whatever you want to do. I want you to start with me right now. I'm not worried about the president. I'm not worried about the politicians. I'm not worried about what. Washington, I'm not worried about my job. I want you to work on me. When I was a kid, we used to say prayer changes things. I'm going to tell you what it is. Most of the time, the thing that prayer changes is this thing. You don't believe it. You can tell when somebody hadn't been praying. But it'll work on you. Prayer will work on you. Your judgment gets different. What was God trying to show Isaiah? His train filled the temple. He was saying, Isaiah, you can't focus on what's going on around you. The whole earth is filled with my glory, son. I want to show you what it's like in my presence. When you realize how powerful it is in the presence of God, you'll do anything and everything you have to do to get into the presence of God and let God work on you and let God change you. Hey, I feel like telling somebody tonight, you've got access to the deep things of God but you've got to go after it now I'm hurrying I have no clue how long I've been preaching but I just feel like I'm on the precipice of too long 
It was this same garment, in my opinion. The same garment that King Saul was wearing in front of his men. When King David came, and he, the Bible said that he could have killed him, right? You know the story? Hunted him down. He could have killed him. But he didn't kill him. What did he do? He cut off the fringe of his garment. Let me tell you why. Because if one knot comes undone on this right here, that means the 613 is not perfected. You understand what I'm saying? His word is perfect. And so when David walked up to Saul and he cut the fringe off of his garment, I believe that he cut off the corner of the garment where the authority of the word was. It was obviously so heavy, and understand this from a Jewish perspective, it was so heavy to David that the Bible said he felt so bad about it that he actually repented. You know, when I was a kid, I'd read that and say, he was a rich king, he could buy another garment. No, it's different. Because the garment that he had on showed that he believed in the power of God and he was a king of authority. But when David took just the fringe of his garment, he had to walk before the men of Israel and when they looked, they knew, they saw his garment and they said, that man no longer has authority. He has lost his authority. And that's when it became apparent to the men of Israel that their king was no longer anointed to walk in the authority of kingship. David rendered him powerless when he took the fringe of his garment. You know this principle happens in the New Testament. When we see it, it's going to blow your mind. And I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. But, but folks have asked, why do we do the things that we do in 1 Corinthians chapter 11? I want you to understand why we believe the way that we believe Men prayed, these Jewish men prayed covered with their shawl. They prayed covered. And the apostle asked this question. He said, judging yourselves, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it's a shame unto him. But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. Stay with me. This is using the same language as the authority of the cover, it gives her power. Somebody say power. power. Power with the angels in prayer. And I'm just going to ask you a question tonight. I don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable. But I ask you a question. If taking the hem of the garment of Saul rendered him powerless. And he lost his authority. Because the corner of his prayer covering was gone. Would it, would it render a woman powerless if you were to take just the fringe of her prayer covering? Why do we do what we do? So you're telling me I'm going to go to hell? No, I'm telling you, you got to walk in authority. you got to have authority. And the only way that comes is when you separate yourself unto God. And you've got to be unashamed and unabashedly pure in your heart and your approach. I'm not doing this so I can go to heaven. I'm doing this so I can touch heaven. 
Well, I, I just think you're reading a lot into this, and I, I, I don't know, Pastor. I, I think there's there's a lot. Listen, the Bible said that there was a woman who had been sick for twelve years. She'd been sick for twelve years, and Jesus came walking by. And when he came walking by, it's the same exact language, Elder. That she reached out and she touched the hem of his garment. When you realize that his name and his law and his authority and all that's in there, you realize she may have reached out to touch the H-E-M, but she really touched H-I-M. When she reached for the H-E-M, she got H-I-M. Because everything that he is wasn't... Listen... What that tells me is there's healing in his name. There's healing in his word. There's a, oh my, woo. There's healing in his authority. Can you imagine? Can you, you, oh God. If I could just get people to see the power that's in the name of Jesus. In the, listen. I, my, my wife and I, I'm not, I'm not just telling you some story to make you shout. My wife and I, we're just foolish enough to believe that if God says we can have it, then we're going to have it. And our babies, I've seen it, Lord, when they were sick and had fever on their brow. The first thing my wife did was not run, get Tylenol. But Lauren, man, she, she got bad for a while. We were even at a conference one time. And she got to having these febrile seizures where she would break into a fever and she'd start shaking. We had her in the hospital. We're trying to do the work of God at a conference, you know. And we're in the emergency room with Lauren. She's shaking all over. We're thinking she's having some seizure. And it was called a febrile seizure from high temperature. We took her in the hospital. All that. She started having them hot fevers. And my wife walked in, Brother Jordan. I'll never forget it. My wife walked in there. She took her hair down. And she laid her hair on my baby. And she started praying. She laid across her and laid her hair across that baby. You don't have to agree with it. You don't have to like it. I'm going to tell you. There's something to be said about the authority of a praying woman that's got power with the angels. God, I feel something in here right now. I'm not preaching one judgmental thing to you. I'm telling you the devil's tried to keep you from having the power that, that God says you can have. That's why the devil fights you so hard on holiness. Is he realizes the things he gives you access to in the kingdom of God. If true holiness was judgmentalism, then the devil would want us to preach it. But the reason he fights it is because people that are separated unto God have access to things. I'm closing. Lord have mercy. I think you guys are fast forwarding that clock back there. The Bible said that Elijah and Elisha came to the moment that Elisha had been waiting for. And he said, I'm not going to leave you until you leave. Y'all, you've heard it? He said, prophet, I'm going to stay with you. And he even, Elijah said, no, 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 just, 
Just go on. He said, sir, I will not leave you. I will not leave you. And the Bible said that when they came to the river, that the old prophet in front of him, and if a Jewish person happens to watch this and see this, I mean no disrespect by what I'm doing. This is biblical. It was in the Bible. The Bible said that Elijah took off his garment, his cloak. It was this. And he smote the water. And when he did, now to us, we're like, oh, he got a powerful coat. No, he didn't. There was law and name and authority. You understand what I'm saying? Elijah said, I can't do it, but he can. Boom. And they walked across. And when they got across the river, well, the Bible said a great whirlwind came down and a tornado came down and grabbed Elijah. We only know two men that had a rapture idea that we see in the scripture, Enoch and Elijah. And Elijah's happened in a great whirlwind. God took the man but left his mantle. The Bible said that that mantle came flying down. And Elisha's like, where'd he go? (laughs) He's gone. And he said, my father. It was his father. Spiritual father. He said, where'd he go? And something told him, Lord God, if I had time, I'd preach the pain off this. Something told him that the same thing that got this prophetic ministry to this place is going to be the same thing that gets you where you need to go. You can't forsake the name and forsake the law and forsake the authority and still have power to cross over. Can can, can I? I'm I'm almost there. Are y'all wore out? Elisha didn't call Lowe's and say, I'm stuck over here on the other side of the river. I need you to bring me a load of lumber because I've got to build a bridge to get me out of here. This is what modern religion's doing. We used to rely on the supernatural. Now we're calling boat stores to bring us canoes and paddles. Now we're hiring engineers to build bridges. The authorities laying right there waiting on this generation to pick it up. I want to tell you young people something. The same authority that got us here. It's going to take the same thing to get us where we need to go. Man, I feel, God in mercy, I feel a strong angel standing here right now. I can't even hardly breathe right now. I feel such a strong presence of God. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. The power of this moment is that Elisha was being watched by false prophets. And they were standing off in the distance saying, I wonder what this generation is going to do with it. Is he going to get a boat? Is he going to build a bridge? What's he going to do? And he said, no, sir. I believe I'm going to pick up the same thing that my father loved. I'm on, oh, Bishop. 
I want the same thing you preached, Dad. I want the same thing my grandfather preached. I want the same thing that our forefathers preached. I want to believe this with all my heart. We don't need a new way. We don't need a new program. We need the supernatural that will get a hold of us. The prophets of the world are watching. We've got to walk in authority. We've got to walk in the power of the name. If this thing falls apart, Elisha, it's not because he didn't show you the way. And I'm closing tonight, but I'm just wondering. I'm just wondering. How many of these, not this physical, you understand what I'm saying. How many of these gave were laying on graves? Because that old man preached it. But this generation would rather come up with a program that crosses rivers. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost up in here. Can we just lift our hands right now? I feel God trying to do something. Shh. Brother Snow, I want you to hold on to this. And I'm going to show you what this did. You couldn't see this. Because Elijah was gone in the flesh. But when Elisha picked up that mantle, it connected him to what had been received into glory. On the other end of that mantle, there was an anointing. That was not going to come just through the power of prayer and asking for it. It was going to come through the spirit of transfer that because he was submitted and he picked up that fallen mantle that what used to hold the other end of it would now flow to him. Young people, we will not see more power until we grab hold of the double portion mantle. We don't get a double portion until we pick up the old mantle. Isaiah, my train, it fills the temple. Isaiah realized at that moment that the power of God is the only thing that's going to change my world. Church. I didn't plan on preaching as long as I have, but I've had to preach through some walls in here tonight. And I believe God's been speaking to somebody. I'm telling you, I, I literally asked God tonight. I said, Lord, would you just let a spirit of revelation prevail in this place and let people see this is not legalism. This is not, this is not because we want to be mean. I said, God, I want somebody to see the value of the power of what God, of what we're doing. Hey, I'm standing before you to tell you tonight, I don't want a new way. I don't want a new mantle. 
I'm not, I'm not looking for a fresh anointing. I'm not looking for something new. I don't want a new message. I want the same thing that's always worked. And I don't ever want God to lift it out of this church. So I'm asking tonight. I don't care if you're young in the flesh or you're young in the gospel. Or you, I preach things tonight you still don't understand. If you want what I'm talking about tonight, God ain't going to hand you something like this. What I'm preaching to you is that this is a message that we have loved and we have preached and we have believed. You may not understand everything that we're doing here, and I understand that. We'll spend time with you and talk to you. But if you feel what I'm saying to you tonight, that you want more of it, I'm opening up these altars there's no music, so this is not like, we're not just trying to get you riled up. I know you've heard, we, we do, we dance and shout and all that. We do all that. But this is a moment of decision right now. Where we're going to decide how bad we really want this thing. Are we going to stand and stare at the river or are we going to pick up this old message? Oh.